Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today, our guest is David Owens, who pastors a very interesting vineyard church in Tanzania. Uh, They're very close to Nairobi. This is a very interesting interview. It's a little bit different because we recorded it in one of our Saturday group meetings, the kind of members-only call for people who are members of the Equippers Lab that I do. I think you're going to really enjoy David, his roundabout way of getting sort of dragged from uh, being a missionary kid, then the travel from Switzerland, uh, where he grew up, quite near Labrie, and friends with Francis Schaeffer and family, then the atheist moving to Australia in pretty much rebellion against God, planning a church, ministering to a lot of people who are pretty unlikely converts from there to pastoring a church in Vancouver, B.C., and then on to Tanzania. This is a really fun interview. Hope you really enjoy it. Well, just starting in terms of uh, from where we're at here, um, we've, we've been pastoring a, a, what was an international church for uh, the last 14 years here. It's a vineyard that was uh, planted by people who didn't know what vineyard was other than having just a couple of years in uh, a church up in Kenya. They were uh, missionaries, American missionaries. They just fell in love with it. And when they were relocated to Arusha. So Arusha is northern Tanzania. We're um, about 100 or so kilometers south of the border and due south of Nairobi. So a good uh, three and a half, four hours will get us by car to Nairobi International and uh, then any amount of hours to the other side of the city. Uh, So that's where we are. It's a very strategic city, which uh, is kind of interesting given Tanzania is the least favored of or favoring of the East African brothers. They they just don't, uh, they've always played kind of hard to get and they stuck me at the headquarters here, which is interesting. So this church was planted as an outreach to the East African unreached uh, white group. So essentially it, it was an outreach to the, the, the white East Africans. We were called to mission. So that's, um, I was born in Switzerland of missionary parents. Uh, went to boarding school in Wales for nine years. Uh, my parents were bivocational. They they were called to Europe as missionaries, and and the Lord led them to buy a hotel. The Lord raised raised the money. It was a multi uh, well. It was like eight buildings in this um, ski resort. Uh, it's just a rid- ridiculous story because he was a church mouse, and that's where I was born and and brought up. And then I I left home at eighteen to go to Australia to become an atheist that didn't work out so well because I've gotten mixed up in a Bible cult in the last parts of my, my schooling and um, left school early to join them. And it was the children of God. So some of you will know about them. You, Ralph, because it was Southern California. Uh, yeah, boy, I, I bumped into them and, and the, the, some of them were actually trying to girls seduce the young men in, in our group. It was crazy. Uh, well, I left them before it got into the sex stuff. 
I was in there for two years and it all went south when I left apparently. So I don't, so I miss, I missed out on all that, 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 um, uh, not that I regret that at all. And it, it just didn't work. My background was largely exposed to, uh, Francis Schaefer, Labrie and that, because they were just over the valley from us. So, uh, we, we got to know, we knew them as a family. It's pretty tough on, on my, my atheist journey, but moved to Australia. I was in film industry and all of that, trying to kind of break out, then joined the airlines and came back to the Lord while I was flying as a flight attendant. The Lord called me like two years into that. I'd flown for three years and never knowingly met another Christian. When I came back to the Lord, uh, it was just interesting. All these people started getting saved around me. I mean, I could sneeze and people would get saved. It was, it was, there was such favor and I'm not a, I'm not an evangelist. It, It was really interesting that, that, there was that kind of evangelistic uh, move. And so I ended up pastoring and, and discipling these young flight attendants and pilots. Well, they weren't all young, but they were just about all either promiscuous, the promiscuous girls or gay guys. So that was a group that, that I was working with, which was so much fun. You know, we we're dealing with the real stuff. They, they knew what they wanted and when they came started following Jesus. So I got a very clear call to full-time ministry and I thought that meant leaving flying. And so I spent a year trying to gear up find a Bible college to go to and that and the Lord just made it very clear after that year, it's almost to the date, when I called you to full full time ministry, that meant full having a full time um attitude within the workplace. You know, I got married during that time and we pastored that airline fellowship for about four years and then the Lord told us to close it down. It was bizarre, but it was like he had already established a net. Before that there was no net. And now there are all these people out there and there, there wasn't a formal fellowship. Um, and so it was a little precedent to close down something that was successful. So during that time, though, a co- well, a couple of years after we, we uh, closed, we, we planted our first church out of the airlines. And, and uh, that was made up of gay guys, lesbians, promiscuous girls, and schizophrenics. That was our kind of our, our core group. So we were dealing with a very raw group of people um, that kind of spoiled me for normal life after that. We ended up um, uh, pastoring that church for 10 years. Then the Lord called us to, to Vancouver, and we pastored a church there, which was a post-split church. So we took over the mother that had lost the senior planting pastor and whatever. So that was uh, an interesting time. Then the Lord moved us to Tanzania, to a white church. And that's a long story. I was very much a Jonah. I did everything to avoid this because I hadn't waited 26 years <laughs> to go from pastoring in a tough place like Vancouver, um, BC, to come and just take care of a bunch of white people in Africa. It just was not, it just went against everything in me. But it was the Lord. And these were great people. There was 180 people in the church and four black faces. There weren't even Indians. There was not, I mean, nothing no color of any kind other than the Caucasian. Over time, it was very cool. We were pushed on. This was God's, God's uh, thing for me. Um, and it was, it was very interesting. Uh, it was a ter- church. I was the first person that had really been involved with Vineyard to be in the leadership. The Lord kind of really 
moved us at where there was an Indian uh, Hindu family that got saved and they came in and they broke the color barrier. And it all kind of changed over a period of time to the point that now we would have maybe 25% Cauca uh, Caucasian uh, and the rest is just a cross-cultural mix of, uh, of all colors. But, but our main, our primary demographic is the 18 to 35 year old uh, Tanzania, uh, educated Tanzanian English-speaking uh, young people. And we came here with the sense that um, we're kind of fighting this whole, I hate the word missionary, even though I'm a missionary kid, because of all the baggage that it brings with it, unless we're talking about everybody being a missionary. Because there's this whole thing about the missionaries are the ones with the answers. And yet we were the ones that actually introduced churchianity and uh, a very dysfunctional pedagogy within the church system. In coming back to the Lord, I really loved the church. I'd left it being really angry with it, disappointed with it. But, but when I came back, I mean, God had done a work in my heart. And I'm, I, I love the body of Christ. I love its diversity. I love its struggles and all of that. But when we were called to plant, I went, I don't know what this is supposed to look like because I could not just do the normal church, you know, and I remember our first meeting together with our core group and it said to them, guys, I don't know if we're supposed to meet in the bottom of an empty swimming pool. I remember I said that stupid thing, you know, I, I just don't know what this is, but we're going to have barbecues for uh, on Sundays before we, you know, and figure out where we're going from here. And we, it, and it, there was a period of, of, of shedding old church mindsets, I think, and the hurts, a lot of people came with that. Uh, a lot of gay people uh, had experienced the rejection of the church, but not the other side of the message. While I was flying, I, I found myself constantly in these conversations with gay guys. There was one time in the middle of the night, it was a night sector, just this guy and I, you know, I, I was just sharing about Jesus, about my own walk. And his face was just lighting up, this, this beautiful kind of like, wow, this hope. And the, the more I pushed, I, I, I heard the Lord tell me that he was gay. Nobody knew he was gay on the crew. And he didn't know that I knew, but it was a word of knowledge. And I, so I pushed in on the father thing, big time, the loving father. And his face lit up. And, and then it was just like there was this thing that came over him. When, you know, I could hear him think, Dave doesn't know that I'm, that I'm gay. And so I just nailed that even harder, you know, just the thing that the loving, unconditional acceptance of, of, a, of the God and who does not expect us to clean up before we get there. And eventually he had to stop me because it was hurting too much. And he said, look, you know, I'm gay. Uh, you need to know that. So this doesn't really count, does it? And I went, so what? I'm heterosexual. And, you know, you may be bro you know, broken sexually as a homosexual. I'm broken sexually as a heterosexual. We, it's, not, it's not about where we're at. It's about where we're invited, you know, and, and, and the Lord made it very clear to me, I was not allowed to raise the issue of their sexuality. He said to me very clearly, he said, they know that the church disapproves of their sexuality. What they don't know is that there's a father who loves them. my heart, not only for, for the, the, the sexual, sexually broken, but really for unity, uh, because of, of my background being exposed to my, my dad went from Pentecostal church planter in the 50s to um, uh, he was ministering in the brethren when he by the time he died. So and he'd left all the doors open behind him. I mean, he had this, this favor right across. So I was exposed to all of that, too. So my, you know, in coming to Africa, coming as a so-called missionary, I was, you know, just just so unimpressed with the conversion statistics. You know, uh, Africa is the wealthiest continent. 
there was research done in 2007. And I think one of the countries, I can't remember which country it was, but it was 85% in their census, 85% born again, not just Christian, but born again. Wow. And at that stage was number four on the corruption index. And so that's just, I'm sorry, that doesn't count. That's not the kind of Christianity that I, you know, that impresses me at all or that I want to be a part of. So this was this whole thing of what, what is supposed, the church supposed to look like? And we, we had tried to break out and get more interactive in our churches in Australia and, and in Canada, but it, there wasn't real breakthrough. Coming here, as the whites started moving out, we, we planted two churches out of here. One was a, a house church movement, actually, and the other one was a, um, a Korean church congregation. And that was great. But being, what was left here was, it's, it's the, the blessing and the curse, Christianity in Africa. Christianity is, is re highly respected, even by Muslims, you know, other than your, your radical Muslims. Uh, it's not hard to get a Muslim to come to church, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't go to, to mosque. It, it, it's fascinating for me. Uh, many of my friends are, uh, dearest friends are Muslims. And it's, it, you know, my heart is just so warmed in being with them and getting to share life to some degree with them. So we are, what's happened in, in the last, the favor, this, this kind of growing, what had happened six years ago, we, we got hold of this nightclub, which was the lowest of the low of the nightclubs. It kept going out of business and somebody would buy it and, and get even more sleazy, trying to really make a success of the place. And they finally gave up. And so we happened on the scene and we got it for 18 months and we were going to change it into a, an outreach, uh, not an outreach song. We were going to have two discotheques. They had two discotheques in there and we were going to build a, a skate park behind. And there was this momentum and excitement about it. And it was going to be a center for people, the emerging leaders for the different sectors. And we were going to bring in uh, role, uh, role models and mentors that would come to two or two to four weeks and just hang with these emerging leaders. And the thing just, just did not take it. There was, there was blessing on it. We ran alpha courses there and the, the, the property just did not work. And it was like the seed that felt, you know, had to fall into the ground and die because uh, I just, I just kind of left that alone. I thought it was dead and gone. And we just went back to, very interactive church environment, which was very attractive for these Africans who are just so used to a legalistic type of church. The fact that we had coffee uh, in church where people could go and just grab a cup of tea in the middle of, of worship was just anathema. We got rid of the right people through through our coffees. There was this, this just fascination and this grace thing that was coming because they're so used to legalism and and controlled uh, controlled relationships and so the word got out that actually with sex premarital sex was okay in the vineyard and we're going where did you get that so the grace message was forcing you know just like paul says in romans you know shall we then sin that grace may abound and, and, and so we were kind of guilty of the same accusations that paul was getting so i guess it's okay but my wife is very very black and white Oh, she is very black. And, and this was driving her nuts. But I've married just about uh, six of the eight weddings we've had. The girls either had had their baby or were pregnant. And that's kind of okay. <laughs> that's okay. It's a safe place to come. And we just do. We've, we've had an amazing ministry in terms of men and women pursuing purity. We've run uh, like Living Waters courses and uh, that kind of thing. An actual course called Men. Hearing purity, and we—it's it, 
Af Africans don't, don't fess up. It's such a shame-based environment. It's hard enough in the West yeah. where there's these, you know, uh, the, uh, you know the, the accountability ministries and that. But for people here to come out, what we found in our last course, there was 48 people in our last course, uh, 52 signed up. 12 weeks later, 48 men and women, which is unbelievable when you, when you think about the, the level of transparency that we were experiencing and vulnerability that was needed. So there's this fascination with grace. So how do we how do we steward this incredible message in in this on this continent where Christianity is a mile wide and an inch deep? And saying, okay, what is it that makes it a blanket rather than a vineyard? You know, what what is stopping the roots going down? And and there's a number of different factors. Yeah. So the the main factor that. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a ministry called Disciple Nations Alliance. Daryl Miller, it's Daryl. Uh, I would highly recommend it. It's biblical worldview stuff that uh, they that they roll out both South America, started in South America, then it, they did it um, uh, in Africa. It was picked up by a, a, an elder of the continent, I would have to say, Venice Tongoy, who developed that. But it's it's wonderful, wonderful material that that uh, addresses all these cultural issues as well as well as confronts us with our own Western paradigms. Uh, Disciple Nations Alliance. I think it's disciplenations.org. And so something else that actually emerged: the pastor of the the vineyard in Karen, Nairobi, was uh, is is a third generation Congolese American, and uh, at the age of uh, fourteen. He moved to Israel, where he finished his schooling, did university there. His name's Doug Brown. And uh, so, I mean, for a guy, I mean, this guy has got one foot in, in Africa culturally and the other foot in Israel. And so he's reading the Bible a little kind of like in a, in a mind blowing. I mean, he's fluent in, in Hebrew and, and a couple of African languages. When the vineyard asked him to develop a, a school of ministry, he didn't want to because there were so many colleges around. And then the Lord just spoke to him and said, you know, what do you think about those colleges? And it's they're basically uh, the majority are Western colleges with black teachers and translated materials. And so contextualization is, is a very poor term for it. Uh, and so what he's, he's done, he's uh, taken this, he's developed uh, about eight years ago, we started running uh, the Vineyard School of uh, Ministry in African Theology, and, and it's now become African Theology and Holistic Ministry. So um, it's, it's drawing at least 70% of the material from African soil, African theologians, and the pedagogy is one which is as close to African as possible rather than the lecture style. And that is interactive. You know, when he, he'll start a, a class, he will say, I may be the facilitator. I may be the one that's bringing the, the, the content to you. And there's a lot of questions that you want to ask. I don't have all the questions, but the question, the answer is in the room. So it's very much, this was kind of DMM before DMM became kind of popular on an academic level. So it's, that has really taken a hold. And, and so where our church planting has taken a bit of a, a, a twist here. We've run an entire school of ministry in a uh, certificate school of ministry, which was in Swahili. So all our vineyard pastors, so it's only, it's quite a small movement here. There's uh, seven churches here, but we've taken all our pastors and it's really pushing the holistic side of things and encouraging bivocational planting as well as hub churches in a region, which would be resource centers. 
rather than just new congregations. So it's uh, we are really in this in this thing of um, uh, just the, the this real movement. Now the grace is like three years ago. Somebody came to us who's been working with us, being a doctor who's been doing first responders training out here with us, but he's very committed, incredibly committed to missions. And he just said, you know, this vision that I've heard you share about training emerging leaders in the various sectors that seemed to die in that club six years ago. I believe God's, I'm hearing it in you. You're pregnant with it. You keep letting it leak. Uh, you've got a property here. It's a, it's a, the way we got the property is another story because I'm, I'm so against buying properties and modeling the whole thing about churches, you know, church buildings and, and PAs and all of that. And, and it was so God, God just forced us into it we paid it off and all the rest of it and just wondering why have we got this beautiful garden that's hardly being used at all and now it's just suddenly there's been this shift so we're becoming this uh, the the vision now is for us to become um and and it's happening in on sunday mornings already where people are 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 connecting with their issues they're um coming out and sharing we've got we've always had tables not not rows of chairs that's kind of the the vineyard thing i guess but it, it has it has broken that that model of just sit there shut up and and listen mm. because the pastor's got got uh, he's the anointed one so it doesn't take long for people to know that i'm you know that's not true about me if you enjoyed today's podcast be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net